Let's turn again to the readings that we had in 1 Samuel, and uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And though taking our text here, it's not, not just that that's not particularly what I'm focusing on, it's more on looking at uh, comparing and contrasting King Saul and King David. But it says in verse 18 of David, One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Which contrasts very much in verse 14, of the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Uh, that harmful spirit, that doesn't mean that, uh, that the Lord sends evil spirits in the sense that, uh, that evil spirits are in the presence of God, but that the Lord will allow and permit uh, an evil spirit to attack and to bother and to disrupt a person's life. And that's what happened, because uh, when it tells us of how the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> or the Spirit departed from Saul, that isn't speaking about the presence of the Spirit that every believer has, because the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever leave a, a, a Christian once the Holy Spirit has come to live within you. No matter what happens or what we do, but what is the Holy Spirit's presence here was with regard to the kingship because the Spirit of God came in a very special way of power upon the king. And that's what it is talking about, that that power and that presence that was there in Saul, as Saul was given the authority over the kingdom that God removed that particular presence from him there. Now, <clears throat> we've come to... I, I suppose some of you were aware that we've been going through different characters in the Bible and I've been doing so alphabetically and I've come to K but I, uh, there are individuals for instance Kish who was Saul's father we could have looked at him Keturah if you remember after Sarah died Abraham remarried and that was who he married was this lady Keturah he had a family with her uh, Job had two daughters. We're told that they were the two most beautiful uh, ladies or women in the land, Kesiah and Karen Hapach. Uh, so there are plenty names of K, but not well known. But I thought of going to K to kings and looking at the first two kings of Israel, just to compare and to contrast them. And both kings, actually, both David and Saul, began. Uh, began well and uh, the chapter as if we had gone back to chapter 9 and read through chapter 10 and so on we would have been introduced to Saul much, in a much clearer way we find him as a rather modest man uh, he, was, he comes across well he was of course a very he was a very handsome man and from a, a human point of view was an ideal man to be a king because we're told in chapter 9, verse 2, about uh, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. And the, then he had, verse 2, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. 
There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. So from a human point of view, Saul fitted the bill exactly. And everybody, if you were looking for the ideal king, someone who was handsome and someone who was striking looking and somebody who had seemed to be just so uh, commanding in his presence, you would say, there's your man, there's Saul. Uh, but although we know that Saul began well, Saul's life went on a downward spiral. And uh, Saul's life became tragic and the end became very very tragic David on the other hand was very very different now uh, when we look at the, at the at their lives we find that at the very beginning when Saul is going to be actually proclaimed king that he goes and he hides himself it was I suppose to a certain extent almost kind of embarrassing that the man that had been chosen to become king when it came to the point where they were going to there was going to be the public proclamation Saul had already been anointed privately by Samuel and now the whole all Israel were called together for almost like the coronation there's no sign of Saul and Saul had hidden himself amongst the baggage no doubt Saul was absolutely overwhelmed by what lay in front of him and at one level, we can totally understand that. And your heart goes out at one level with sympathy towards Saul. And you say to yourself, totally, Saul, I understand. It's quite something to be taken from almost obscurity to be thrust into being the main man in the kingdom. So you can understand why there's a reluctance on Saul's part. But where Saul fails here is this is God's appointment. God had set this out for Saul. And so Saul wasn't at liberty to say, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be king. It's too much for me. Because God had said, no, this is, your, this is what the people want a king, right? You're, the people are getting a king, and I'm choosing you to be king. And so... I think we can all understand a wee bit of this in whatever form of Christian service we do. There's always a sense of not only reluctance, it's not that we don't want to serve God, but there's always a pressure. There's always a hidden pressure. It doesn't matter in what level you are serving God. If God has put you in a particular place and he's given you something to do, be absolutely persuaded that Satan will go out to oppose it. Because that's the nature of Christian service. It's warfare. And we, we mustn't lose sight of that, that all the time there is a spiritual struggle wherever God has put, placed you and put you. And so there is, at one level, there is a fear in Christian service. And unless you are absolutely persuaded that this is what God wants you to do, then, <clears throat> of course, it becomes unbelievably difficult and I suppose looking at just taking an example of the ministry you would never for one moment I wouldn't be here and Mr. McKeever wouldn't be in this pulpit if we weren't absolutely persuaded that this is what God wanted us to do we went through all that 
earlier on where we're persuaded of God's calling into the work. And it's God's enabling. We can't do this of ourselves. And so that's right at the very beginning. Saul fails. From a human point we can understand it. But from a spiritual point he fails. Because he doesn't trust God. The God who has said you're the man is the God who will enable. That's what God does. He gives us an enabling to keep going in the face of difficulties, in the face of obstacles, because he's put you there. And so at the very outset, we find to a certain extent that Saul is failing. Now, of course, when Israel, we saw that, when Israel sees Saul, when he's proclaimed king, of course, they they rejoice because they have the kind of passion that they would like to be king. But even Samuel, great man and all, though Samuel was. Now Samuel was very, you can see Samuel was very, very fond of Saul. That comes through. If we, if we were to read right through the chapters, we would see Saul, Samuel was broken hearted over Saul's failings. He really, he was grieving because he was very fond of Saul. But God had said to Samuel, I've rejected him. Now Samuel was not a really, really spiritual man, but he often made the mistake of judging by appearances at a human level. And we find that right at the very beginning where God has said, you know, Saul has, I'm rejecting Saul. He is not fit for duty. Saul serves himself. Saul is governed by other principles He's governed by people. He's governed by his own heart, by his own pride, by his own ego, by fear of people. I'm picking somebody who will do what I want him to do. A man after my own heart. And of course that was David. And we read of how uh, the the day came where uh, Samuel had to go and anoint a son of Jesse to be king. And remember how they were all passing before Samuel. And Samuel, again, when he saw, for instance, when he saw Eliab in chapter 16, verse 6, and when they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed us before him. See, one after another of Jesse's sons were coming, and Samuel was judging by what he saw, by their appearance. They looked the part. Oh, that's the man. That must be. That's the king. God said, no, it's not the king. And then God says to Samuel, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. And you know, that's why there are so, so many passages in Scripture telling us to watch our heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, Because out of it are the issues of life. In other words, what we say, what we think, what we do comes from our heart. As you see a person live their life and you see what they do and what they say and what they think is a reflection of what's going on in the depth of our being. Jesus said that as a person thinks in his heart, so is he or she. What are you really like? Away from everybody else. What are you really like? What, it's what you're thinking about. Away where nobody else can see. Your motives. The reason why you do things you do. The hidden things 
God is seeing and God is weighing you and me up by who we are in the depth of our being. It's quite serious. So we know that we cannot fool, ever, ever fool God. So God says to, to Samuel, you know, you got your judgment all wrong. And then eventually, of course, remember how David was taken and uh, God said when David was brought back from the sheep, God says, that's him. That's the man. Uh, we find that uh, when, when the, the youngest son comes and he sent and brought him and so on. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then it tells us how the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So when we come to look, and I'm just going to look very briefly at three very brief things about David and Saul. The first thing that we find highlighted for us, the great contrast is, that David was prepared to wait God's time, whereas Saul couldn't wait for God's time. You see, as we go through life, there's a time for everything. And our time is always now, isn't it? We are, we are so impatient. And we expect everything to be happening. There's, we are expecting it just to go on and to go on and everything to fit into place. God doesn't work like that. And God tests us and God challenges us and God brings delays into our life to, to test what kind of person we really are. And through that, our patience begins to grow. Saul failed drastically when he was made to wait. David, on the other hand, when he was made to wait, he flourished and he grew. And we saw uh, that in chapter 13 when the Israelites were going to fight the, Israel the Philistines and all the people were brought together, the soldiers were together, and instruction had been given to Saul to wait for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifice. Saul as king was not allowed to offer a sacrifice. It was forbidden for the king to offer a sacrifice. And Saul waited. Day after day he waited seven days. And Samuel hadn't come. And he was beginning to see the people leaving. And they were heading off. And he was saying to himself, again we go to the human point. We go to human thought and human wisdom and everything within you would say, oh, I've got to do something. Look at them, they're heading off that direction and there and they're going, they're hiding, they're scared. And the Philistines, they're mustering all their troops and they're ready for action. What am I going to do? And Saul says, boy, there's only one thing I can do. I'm just going to take the bull by the horns. I'm going to do the sacrifice myself because before we go to fight, we've got to, got to sort it out with God. So Saul offers the sacrifice. And he had no sooner finished when Samuel appeared. And Samuel said, what have you done? What on earth are you doing offering the sacrifice to God? And Saul said, oh, pe people were going. I forced myself to do this because all the people were disappearing. What Saul is forgetting is Saul and the people of Israel belong to God. God was in control of them. And we have to move according to God's way 
and God's timetable if we are serious about following God. And Saul just wasn't getting it. And Samuel said to him, Saul, you made a terrible mistake. The kingdom, God is saying, the kingdom would have been established with you and your family if you had obeyed him. But Saul was right at the very beginning showing his trust was not in the Lord. He wasn't prepared to wait. He couldn't wait more than seven days. David, on the other hand, waited seven years. That's a big difference. For seven long years after David was anointed, he waited. Think of it. Saul couldn't wait seven days. There's 365 days in a year. Multiply that by seven. That's the length of time. That's the number of days that David waited. And that shows the huge difference between them both. And you know, the Lord is also bringing us to this place and to this point where we learn to trust him. It's all about trusting God, waiting upon him. The Lord waits that he may be gracious. And you know, we lose out so much if we do not trust the Lord and learn to walk with him every single day. Then the second big difference between Saul and David is this. For seven, nearly seven years, for nearly seven years, Saul tried to kill David. Saul wanted to kill the Lord's anointed. David refused to kill the Lord's anointed, even when the opportunity was presented to him over and over and over again. A huge difference. You remember how there was a day we read about it when Saul thought David was wonderful. And even after he had killed Goliath, he thought he was even more wonderful than ever until after the battle. And the women in the streets were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. Right away, Saul's heart changed towards David. The big green monster of envy and jealousy absolutely took over. And little wonder it took over because God wasn't with him. God had left him alone. And you see, that's what happens when you're left alone, that all these things, these monsters, take over your life. And from then on, Saul's great pursuit in the kingdom was to destroy David. And he spent years of his life hounding him and using every opportunity, even taking thousands of troops out, searching the mountainside to kill him. Because a bad spirit had come in and the fear of the Lord had departed. You know, this, the fear of the Lord is vital in our lives. If you lose the fear of the Lord as you walk through life, you're in a dangerous place. The fear of the Lord will keep you, will keep you in the dangerous times. It'll stop you and say, well, hold on. That's what, that's what kept Joseph from sinning with Potiphar's wife was the fear of the Lord. The opportunity was there. Potiphar's wife wanted him. They were alone in the house. Joseph said, I can't because of God. That was the fear of God was within his heart. And the fear of God will keep us in a way that nothing else will. 
And that's what was in David's heart, was the fear of the Lord. He said, I can't raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. The Lord anointed Saul, and I will not lift my hand against him. And we should always take that, that thinking to heart. But Saul, because the fear of the Lord wasn't there, all he could think of was, I'm going to just destroy David. And so that's another of the, the great differences that we see. And that's what made David, that's why even although he was hiding in the caves and his life, you think of it, here's a man who's been anointed as king. And he was sleeping in the rocks and in the grass. I was only once in Israel and I saw the caves in Engedi. And it's very it's dry, arid, rocky, barren. That's where Saul was searching, trying to kill David. That's where David was hiding, in, in these caves. The man who should be king, just sleeping on the, the floor of a cave. That's, that was his life. And yet when the opportunity, remember when Saul actually came into a cave where David was hiding, David's men whispered, hey, God, and it makes sense, God has handed your enemy over to you. Plunge your spear in. He'll be dead before he knows anything. David said, no, he's God's anointed. God will deal with him in his own way. I won't. And that's part of what made David the wonderful wonderful man that he was. Yes, he had his faults and his failings. But he had this fear of God that so often characterized his life. And that's why David, even in the caves, even while he was, life was in danger, he still enjoyed the light and the favor of God. Humanly speaking, you, if you had the choice of sleeping in Saul's palace or sleeping in David's cave. Humanly speaking, everybody would have gone for Saul's palace. But Saul's palace was a miserable place. Saul couldn't sleep. Saul was tormented. Saul would give anything to get a good night's sleep. He couldn't because the fear of God was gone. He was walking in darkness, not in the light. David says, I lay me down and slept in peace. You'll read some of his psalms at the time when he was being chased by Saul. He slept like a baby. Why? Because God was with him. He was walking in the light. The fear of God was within in his heart. And you see, that's, what, that's a great difference. And how it was for David, it can be for you and for me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then finally, one other area of the great contrast between Saul and David both of them sinned big style. Again, we find Saul failing where God had told them to go and to destroy the Amalekites, who had been a thorn and a, in Israel's flesh historically. And the time of their judgment had come. And normally in a war, you were allowed to keep things. But Saul, God said to Saul, I don't even want you to keep their cattle, their sheep, anything. Because of their evil. Everything. This is a mark of destruction. And what did Saul do? Well he did most of what God did. Asked him to do. But he kept the best. The best of the cattle. The best of the sheep. The best of the calves. He kept all that. And Samuel appeared. And Samuel said. Saul have you done what God asked? Oh yes. Well why am I hearing 
the bleating of sheep and the, the mooing of the cows. Oh, Saul said, oh, I kept, I kept the best. I kept the best. I kept it for the Lord. So he started to make excuses. And, and then Saul said, Samuel said to him, Saul, you've finished. You are refusing to do what God asked you to do. And Saul actually says, I sinned. I, I, he actually acknowledges that he has sinned. But at the same time, he is making excuses. Because he says, I have sinned and I have transgressed. But then he says, but I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. And he starts making all the kind of excuses. His acknowledgement of sin wasn't true repentance. David, on the other hand, he sinned really badly. He sinned by taking Bathsheba in an adulterous relationship. But what really made David's sin just so horrendous was that he killed Uriah's, uh, killed Bathsheba's husband Uriah, who was a real friend of David, one of the most loyal soldiers David had. He had him killed to try and hide to, so that Uriah wouldn't discover what David had done. David's sin was, it was shocking. And the, to, to, the, the killing of, of his, uh, of his uh, the killing of one of his best friends was absolutely extraordinary. But David, he acknowledges his sin. He holds up his hand and he says, oh, I have sinned. But it wasn't just that he said it. He meant it. Psalm 51, which we were just singing, is where David has poured out his heart before God. Oh, he says, I can't believe what I have done. Against you, you only have I sinned. And he's asking the Lord to wash him clean. Take not your Holy Spirit away. He sees what has, he has seen what has happened with Saul. Oh, Lord, let not that happen to me. Forgive me my sin. And the Lord did. Sin has consequences. And although the Lord forgave David's sin, the consequences remain. Because when you look at the history of David's family, there was intrigue and there was murder and there was a lot of, it was a very dysfunctional family. Because the Lord, although he forgives sin, as we say, sin has consequences. So we need to be careful as we journey through life. And that's what God wants us to do when we sin. Is not try and excuse it. Or pretend it didn't happen. Or forget it. But remember, forgotten sin isn't forgiven sin. Big difference. We can forget about our sin, but God hasn't. So there is no such thing as forgotten sin, even although you forget it. God forgives sin. But we need to go. And genuinely repent of our sin. Acknowledge before God our failings and all our shortcomings. So to highlight what we've been saying here today. Are we prepared to wait God's timing? Or do we always want to push ahead? Remember it's imperative that we walk and keep in step with God. Is the fear of the Lord regulating our lives? So that like, like David, we won't stretch out our hand to do wrong, 
the way that Saul was trying to do by killing David. And when we sin, which we do, do we deal with our sin in the God-given, God-provided way? Or are we like Saul trying to excuse herself? Or are we David's that own up and ask God to forgive us? Well, it's the only way. There's so much, I mean, we could spend several sermons looking and comparing and contrasting the lives of these two men. But even in this short time, may God grant us the grace that it'll be the pattern and the example shown us by David that we will seek to follow as we journey through life. Let us pray. O Lord, O God, we pray that we may indeed trust you with all our heart. We have to confess, Lord, that it is often one of the hardest things that we can do. There is an initial trust where we come to accept you and to believe in you as our Lord and Savior. But so often in the experience of our day-to-day living, we do not trust you as we should. Far too often we trust in ourselves and we lean to our own understanding. But your word says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And in a great promise in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Lord, do us good, we pray, and grant us your grace in all that we do. Bless all your servants today who proclaim your word, and we pray that it will be a day where great things will be done in the kingdom of God. Pray your blessing upon the ministry that will begin shortly, uh, spared and graver, and we pray for servant Ian McCritchie. We pray that you will prepare him and that you will make him a blessing in that congregation. Watch over us and part us now with your blessing, we pray, taking away our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final singing is Psalm 18 from Sing Psalms. Psalm number 18. We're going to sing from verse 46 to the end. Psalm 18. The tune is Wareham. Verse 46 to the end. The Lord lives, praise be to my rock, my Savior God, exalted be. He has avenged me and subdued rebellious peoples under me. You saved me from my enemies, exalting me above my foes. You rescued me from violent men who sought my kingdom to oppose. Therefore, among the nations, Lord, your praise and song I will proclaim. Before the peoples of this world, I'll sing the glory of your name. You give your king great victories. Your loving kindness you will pour on David, your anointed one, and his descendants evermore. On page 22, these verses of Psalm 18, the tune is where. The Lord lives, praise be to Oh.
mercy and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.